Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 7th of October 2012, entitled A Faith That Keeps On Going, and the Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. All right, for our scripture reading this evening, if you'd like to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we'll begin reading in verse 12 and read down through verse 17. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ. Father, we thank you again this evening, Lord, for this time that we can have together for the freedom for the opportunity for those that have gone before us, Lord, that have stood strong and faithful, that have made it possible for us to be here today. Father, we thank you that as we gather here that we have your word before us. We thank you for your spirit that is there within us, Lord, to give us understanding, Lord, to bring us a power that is beyond our own. And we pray this evening, as you look upon the hearts of each and every one, Lord, that you would take and bring to that heart of each individual exactly what they need. May we, Lord, in, in response, uh, heed to what you have for us and respond in whatever way we need. And we'll give you the praise for it. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen and amen. When thinking of our thoughts, I guess, for this evening, I scratched down a couple of titles, and I'd scratch to it, and I'd write something else, and I'd scratch through it, and I'd write something else. Because it was kind of hard to sum up in, 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 in a simple sentence. Because I guess that as we look at these verses, the thought, and I realize that as we come together on Sunday evenings, that it is normally the faithful. It's those that know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I guess this evening I hope that these thoughts can be an encouragement to you because sometimes we can live in very discouraging times. And I want us to, in looking at this passage just pick a few things out of it that hopefully would help us to, to keep on pressing on. Uh, even when the discouragements come and the challenges come and the difficult time comes. And so I ended up in the end just titling it with the thought of faith that keeps on going. A faith that keeps on going because there are going to be times when you don't feel like going on. There are going to be times when you just feel like giving up or throwing in the towel or whatever that it might be. But I want us to find here in this, and I was reminded, you know, so many times 
Society has changed so much. In society as a whole, there used to be such an influence of our Christian faith that it was quite the norm for our Christian faith to be a part of conversation, a part of everything, a part of the laws that are being made in the land and the way that we're governed and all of these things. And yet, now we live in a day when, well, just to name the name of Jesus can get you into more trouble than you know what to even do with sometimes. I don't know how many of you remember, but you probably don't uh, watch it. How many of have ever heard of Fox News Network? It's one of the biggest cable news channels that comes out of, out of New York City. And, uh, and of course, uh, it is a little bit unique. I guess that their slogan, if you would, is fair and balanced. Uh, but for most of the uh, liberal media uh, that covers the vast majority of it out there, uh, they see them as way over there to the right somewhere. Um, but, uh, but I can remember that uh, there's one of the anchors on there, and, and his name is Britt Hume, and he's, uh, he's one of their main evening anchors upon the, uh, on their news programs. And I'm sure there's a number name that you would all recognize, and that's the name Tiger Woods. Everybody knows who Tiger Woods is, right? And uh, we know him why, because of the distance that he can hit a golf ball. Uh, you know, he's done amazing things with that club and that ball, and, uh, and he's known the world over because of what he was able to accomplish. But I guess it was about uh, two years ago, probably coming up to three years pretty soon, when uh, unfortunately Tiger Woods became known for something else, uh, and that was for committing adultery against his wife. And, of course, it made the news because here's this big figure that everybody looks up to. And, and I guess that one of the things is, is that as many times people look at these figures, you know, Tiger Woods was known to be uh, a very clean-cut person. Uh, a lot of people really, you know, thought that he stood there. Now, of course, Tiger was not a Christian. As a matter of fact, by his own he claimed to be a Buddhist. And that was his faith. That was the God that he... Uh, uh, that he worshiped, that he believed in. Well, Britt Hume made a comment uh, during his news broadcast about all of this uh, uh, going on. And uh, when he made that comment, uh, it was something, uh, he actually made a, a, a message directly to Tiger. When all this was happening, it was all coming down. And I quote, he said, so my, my message to Tiger would be, Tiger, turn to the Christian faith and you can make a total recovery and be a great example to the world. Well, I need not tell you what broke loose when that was, those words were spoken uh, over the airways. Uh, and of course, he came under all kinds of attacks and everything else for it. And of course, many people were calling him a bigot. Uh, they were... Uh, making up all kinds of names, how narrow-minded that he was. Some were saying that it was creepy and that it was stupid and all these things just because that he gave a word of advice to somebody that had stumbled into adultery. You know, the Christian faith could do wonders for you, Tiger, if you could turn to Christ. Uh, and, of course, as all that came down, he was actually interviewed later, and I won't go into all the details, but uh, he was interviewed by other newscasters then, and he he went into a great... Uh, a much greater detail in, in talking about the fact that that really what all he was saying, because he knew that 
If Tiger claimed to be a Buddhist and Buddhists didn't believe in a God of creation, they believed in making their own gods and all of these things, and he was sincerely genuine from his heart as a believer that, uh, that Tiger Woods needed Jesus Christ more than he needed anything else in the world at that time, and he needed redemption and he needed forgiveness, and that was the advice that he was giving him. Um, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't very nice, a lot of the things that were said about that newsman that spoke a truth that folks, in bygone years, uh, it would have been the normal for somebody to give someone advice from the Word of God when their world had fallen in on them. Uh, but today, to do such brings the whole world in upon you. Uh, the passage that, uh, uh, that came to mind in, uh, in Romans chapter 116, because uh, uh, one of the questions that Britt Hume was asked is, what do you think drives all this negative comments about Christianity and about speaking out with Christianity? And uh, he said, well, it's always been puzzling to me, but you know, the simple truth is that if you speak the name of Jesus in public, there's going to be an explosion. <laughs> And, uh, and, of course, I was reminded of uh, the passage there in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 when the Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Uh, there is something explosive about the name of Jesus. There is something explosive about the gospel. And I guess the simple truth is, is that if you don't want an explosion, don't talk about Jesus uh, because it's going to uh, bring out all kinds of things. And that's part of what our, our text is talking about that we're uh, coming to here in our license today. If you dare to, to speak out about the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's going to be a lot of people that don't like it. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. That confuses a lot of people because we live in a day again when, you know, there aren't many things that most preachers like preaching about that's really sweeter and lovely to preach about than the love of God. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it is just so awesome that it's just out of this world. Um, but at the same time, you know, what's, what's the Bible talking about? How can, how can God be a God of such love and then talk about, I'm come to send, I'm come not to send peace, but a sword. Well, what about that one in Revelation 2.12 that is going to come that has a, sh a sharp two-edged sword? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divining asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Folks, when we speak out with the gospel message, not everybody's going to be happy about it. Not everybody's going to enjoy it. As a matter of fact, some people will naturally sneer at it. Others are just going to ignore you and think you're just a little bit weird, just like they did Brit Hume. They make all you creepy and strange and all these things. How dare could a guy actually say something like that in public? But you know what? 
if you speak it, and if you speak it loud, and if you speak it clear, there's also some, Brother Steve, that will believe it. And those are the ones that we're looking for. But if they never hear it, Paul talks about this further on in Romans. You know, how are they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to hear without somebody to declare that message to them? We find that some will like it, some won't. And a lot of people just won't care one way or the other. They don't care what you do, and they don't care what you do with it, and they won't want anything to do with it. It can be discouraging a lot of times, though. And I use these illustrations to show that, you know, we don't live in a Christian-friendly society anymore. We don't live in a gospel-friendly society anymore. But the truth is, you can go right back through history. There have always been those that would sneer. There have always been those that would reject it and those that would believe it. And we can't make anybody believe it, and it's not our job. But it is our responsibility and our duty to proclaim forth that truth that they can. How can we stay encouraged when we know that so many of the people that we speak the truth to, they're going to reject it and they're going to think we're strange and people just aren't going to think the same thing of us, whether it's out there in school or in the workplace or wherever. They're really going to think we're a bunch of weird people. Most of us don't like for the worldly people to think that we're different than they are. That's strange, but that's where most of us are. How do we stay focused on the task that the Lord's left with us? How do we stay encouraged when there's so many things to discourage us when we're trying to take the right stand? I believe there's a few things that we can find in these passages here. Folks, there may be some times along the way when we feel like that we're losing the battle. But I want to promise you, the victory belongs to the Lord. The victory is His. We find that if we are on His side, and if we're doing His work, we cannot lose. It's an impossibility. You see, as the Apostle Paul begins to to write these words and speak to us here from, from 1 Corinthians, we find that he mentions here in verses 12 and 13, he said, I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me for the Lord. He came to this city to proclaim the gospel. Troas was, it was a pretty important town. It was on the west coast of what we would know uh, today as, as, as modern-day Turkey. He came there to preach, and obviously there was a door open. There was opportunity that opened up for him to preach there, but he didn't stay long. I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. So Paul went there, and he went there to preach the gospel, and the door was open for him to do so, but something happened. And he crossed over the sea to, to, to Macedonia looking for Titus uh, because Titus wasn't there. And evidently he was fearful about what was happening probably to the Corinthian church because that's where the, the Titus was, was coming from. And he was so troubled that he left this open door in Troas to go to Macedonia to find him. Now, that probably seems strange to some people then. Why? 
I mean, here he is. He's got this opportunity to preach, and that's what he's here for. Why would he do that? Well, so many times. God has a specific place for us at a specific time. It's obvious that Paul was troubled in his spirit here. He wouldn't have passed up the opportunity to proclaim the gospel unless something genuinely, sincerely was pulling him away. But that's the context that this is in. A man, that's have, it's in, he's in a troubled spirit. He doesn't know where Titus is at, and he's leaving a tremendous opportunity to go and find out what's going on and what's going on in Corinth. We find that as we look at these next verses, I want to just pull a couple of things out of here. And you can line them up any way that you want to, but I want us to, to look first at this passage here in verse 14. He says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Always causes us to triumph. You see, again, you can think of it as the truth is, is that an unfailing success, uh, an unending success, uh, an unwhatever that you want. We're talking about there is no chance of not being successful in Christ Jesus, which, what's the next word in your Bible? Always causeth us to triumph in Christ, not in the flesh not in ourselves, but certainly in Christ. Second Samuel 7.22 and 1 Chronicles 17.20 both have these words, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee. Psalm 71.19, O God, who is like unto thee? Deuteronomy 3.24, Moses says, For what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might? And God himself, through the prophet Jeremiah, tells the prophet in Jeremiah 32.27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard or me? You see, I know. I, I guess what, what I'm trying to grasp here is I know how hard it can be. I know what those feelings can be like. I know what it feels like to feel like in the minority. And sometimes you're feeling spiritually strong and you can handle it and it's fantastic and it's great and you're just willing to stand up no matter what they think. But there's times when it's harder. There's times when you're going to wonder, is it worth it? There's times when those little voices are going to be battling away in your head trying to convince you that it's not worth the hassle. It's not worth the trouble that it could possibly call. You see, God not only leads us, which we know that he does, but he's the very reason. We talked about this this morning. He's the, the cause it's the cause that sends us into battle in order to experience that victory. He gives us a cause. You know, I think of David when he witnessed the blasphemy of God by that Philistine giant called Goliath. 
A story that most of us learn about in Sunday school as young children, how this young little shepherd guy goes up against this huge, big giant, and yet with God, he was able to defeat him. Did you stop and think about what got David into that battle in the first place? In 1 Samuel 17, 26, David says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who does this guy think that he is anyway? You know, he was pretty upset. This guy going against God's people, who does he think he is? He didn't look at himself and how tiny that he was and how big that giant was. He was looking at how big God was and how small that giant was in comparison to his God. Who do you think you are? Of course, David's boldness, it didn't even go down well with his own brothers, did it? They chided him and told him, well, you're, David, you're just a kid. Go back to your little flock of sheep. This is not something to go home, take care of the flock. That's your job. That's what you're supposed to be doing. What did David say back to him? What have I done? I like these next words. Is there not a cause? (laughs) Is there not a cause? You see, as a sinner saved by grace, our cause Our purpose for all that we do is Christ. He is our cause. He is our purpose. Paul said that he would very gladly spend and be spent. Why? For the cause of Christ, to edify the church there at at Corinth. You see, that's what it comes down to today is what is our cause? What is our cause? David went against the giant, never even gave it a second thought when everybody around him thought the guy was wacko. This guy's defying my God. Who does he think that he is? He never gave it a second thought. He went into that battle because he was fighting with God and he knew it. Thanks. Be unto God, he says, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Folks, we just do too much of it in the flesh. We're used to doing it ourselves. But the simple truth is, is that when we're in Christ, when we're with him, there is nothing but victory. There is only success. We find that In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And boy, that's a tremendous passage. Man, he goes through anything imaginable. What can separate us from the love of God? We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know that there's only one other place where that this Greek word that's translated triumph here in our passage is used. 
That's over in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, and in verse 15. Notice what the Bible says here. We better begin by reading the verse before it. Verse 14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The same word. <laughs> when Jesus Christ himself, when he triumphed over all those principalities and powers, how? By nailing it to the cross. By nailing it to the cross. That word there, I mean, it carries with it the, the idea of giving victory, of being a conqueror to, to cause triumph over. So in the two places that it's used there, in the one place, it's Jesus Christ that's taken that triumph, that victory, when he nails it to the cross, and in the second place is when he's promising that you've got it in him. Tremendous. Tremendous. You see... With that triumph, God told Joshua over 24 times as he led Israel into the promised land to go in and to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. He told him over and over again the triumph which comes through Jesus Christ will make us an overcomer, whatever battles that we're fighting. We can look at many other things, but I want to give you something else here. You see, the simple truth is, yes, we live in uncertain days. We live in days when, when you've become very much in the minority if you stand up and proclaim Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, simple truth is we could use a few more people that like Brit Hume, that rather than for the sake of the job would stand up and say, hey, look, this is the answer. <laughs> this is what the man needs. Instead of what was more important? What was more important? The job security, what everybody else thought that most of them didn't think very much of in the first place? I'm just saying that, folks, if we're going to stand up and be a light in these dark days, the first thing we need to recognize and realize is, hey, you know, success is ours. Victory is ours. It's unfailing. It's undeniable. Nobody can take us from it. But there's something else here. Notice in verse 15 and 16, just after saying that, thanks be unto God which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we're the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. Who is sufficient for these things? You ever had, uh, you ever had anybody maybe pay you a compliment and tell you how nice you smelled because they liked your perfume or your cologne or something? <laughs> 
you know, that's, that's kind of a nice, nice feeling when somebody, you know, passes on a, a compliment like that. You know, you, you smell nice. Have you ever had come, somebody tell you that you, you didn't smell very nice? <laughs> you stink. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the simple fact is, is that, you know, one, we can take pretty good, but the other, wow, you know. <laughs> well, it's, see, what he's saying to us here is that when we, if we go out there proclaiming the gospel, uh, it, it's like this aroma. <laughs> People are going to notice it. To some people, he says, like to God, it's, you know, again, a, it's a sweet savor to God when we're doing it. But he says, you know, everybody's going to react. And there's two different groups out there, one death and a death and one life and a life. To one, you're going to stink to high heaven. <laughs> thing is, some of them will probably tell you. They may not come up and physically tell you that you smell bad physically. <laughs> but, boy, if you start proclaiming Christ, if you start standing up for the gospel amidst them, uh, they'll be very quick to tell you how much... They think that stinks. <laughs> but to others, life unto life. You see, people are going to notice. It's going to make a difference. I mean, the word savor here, I mean, it's just talking about a, a fragrance, a scent. Verse 14 says that the faithful Christian spreads and makes evident the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere that he goes. It's something that should be a natural part of our lives. You know, just like when you walk into the room, if you've got that perfume on and people smell it, well, when as Christians, when we're walking in our lives and we are proclaiming Jesus Christ by the same token, that should be a natural thing. It should present this fragrance, a sweet fragrance, a sweet savor, of Christ. I like that, you know. <laughs> Boy, if I got to smell like anybody, I'd like to smell like Jesus. <laughs> That's what he said, under God. Why? Because, again, it comes back to we're in Christ. We're so much in Christ that we even smell like Christ. And, of course, this is that Romans, we're out there acting like Christ. Of course, you know that even before we begin that we're going to face those things for some it's going to be a message of life. But for some, it's going to be a message of death. The same message. The same message being responded to very differently. Life to one, revealing death to another. Not that you're killing them, but they're already dead. We find that so many times, I think that's part of what this two-edged sword is all about. It cuts both ways at the same time. It reveals our sin, but at the same time, it reveals the rem remedy for that sin, doesn't it? It shows us how that, that sin can be, can be dealt with. It shows us our guilt, but at the same time, it shows us how to have forgiveness. It strips away all those prideful, self-centered excuses, but it offers instead to clothe us, instead of in all that false pride, to clothe us in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. You see, the other thing we need to realize is that, folks, when we go out there truly proclaiming the gospel of Christ, truly preaching that message, 
It's an unfailing success, but there's going to be an undeniable impact. It's going to make a difference. It's going to affect people. I mean, we could go through a whole list. I'm not even going to begin the list that I made here of all the things that happen to you when you become a Christian. It's phenomenal. You don't realize it's all happening when it happens, but later you find out, wow, this happened and this happened and this happened. You start learning all these words about how you were justified and sanctified and all these different things that, that happen, and you're thinking, wow. Folks, it's awesome, but yet some people just don't want it. Many people just don't understand it. They don't believe it. They think it's not true. They think that you're somehow deluded, that you've been brainwashed into believing a lot of this stuff. But we need to be willing. See, the name of Jesus is powerful, and it will have an impact. It is his word that will cut both ways. Wherever the message of Christ has gone, it's always brought controversy on the one hand, those that find hope and those that turn to Christ, the others that reject it and sometimes are angry. They feel threatened to their very core by what it's saying to them. We find that the simple truth is that that leaves us in a predicament. We know, we know that if we do this, we know that if we stand up for that gospel, we know that if we really let Christ be seen in our lives, Oh, man, some of those people are going to get angry. They are really going to get upset. So we got a choice. We can just shut up and hold our peace and not offend anybody. We, we can do like many do today and just pretend, well, it's all just one God anyway, and we've all got our own ways of getting there, so let's not be offensive. So many would talk. You know, I believe, and I'll fight for the right. You know, that Muslim's got the right to believe whatever he wants to. So does the Buddhist. So does the Hindu. So does the whole list of whoever else that it is. But I believe what he believes is wrong. I know what he believes is wrong. I'll never pretend what he believes is right. I'll fight for his right to believe it. Every individual will make their own choice. We don't want a society that's thinking for people. We've looked right back through history and we found that. Do you think that they were all real Christians when they tried to make Rome a Christian nation? Nobody can do that as a nation. It's an individual thing. But let's not pretend that it doesn't matter. It matters greatly. And of course, if we speak the truth, if we let that bright light shine amidst all this spiritual darkness, it's going to be controversial. <laughs> but many of you would know the name Jim Elliot, martyred missionary. Well, Jim Elliot said this, said he once prayed, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to a decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. In other words, let Christ be seen so much in my life that they don't have any choice 
except to make a decision one way or the other. They can't pretend that I'm not there. I'm not just one of those mile posts he's talking about when you're traveling down the motorway that they, if you call out the AA or the RAC or whoever, they want to know what the number is on that post so they know where you are along that road. He said, I don't want to be just a post that the world is passing by. I want my life to confront people. They'll either believe it or they'll reject it. They'll be happy or they'll be angry, but there'll not be nothing. You know, let my life count. Let it make a difference when it comes in contact with others. That's a pretty awesome prayer. And of course, you know, you have no control over how people respond anyway. That's not what God calls us to do. He just wants you to, in our passage, listen, the savor of Christ. He wants you to smell like Jesus. He wants when you come into the room, oh, I know who that is, to be a savor of Christ. Not, if you'll pardon, I don't mean to be crude, but not stink like the world. <laughs> because you're not going to mess around with the world and not smell like the world. What fragrance are you going to carry with you? You see, I believe that unbelievers, they'll sense that fragrance. That fragrance of Christ is one that they will smell. Some will be attracted to it, and some will be repelled. They know what it is. They don't want anything to do with it. But others will be drawn in. I remember reading a testimony a young lady that had gone in for a job interview with a Christian college, whether she was applying for a position to, to teach Christian history there. And, of course, she gave her testimony, and as she told her testimony, she said that she had just grown up in a nominal Christian family, in a nominal church, you know, hearing all the things and probably never really being challenged by the gospel uh, never really being pressed to believe it or not to believe it. Matter of fact, she said, you know, even though that they went along to church that, if anything, Christianity was just kind of a, a minor feature, kind of like the wallpaper on the wall or something of her life. But an amazing thing happened one night when she was 16 years old. Uh, she and some friends had gone down to the boardwalk where she lived in Daytona Beach, Florida. And they were going down there to party. And when they got down there, they ran into a classmate. And it was somebody that they knew pretty well, and he had quite a reputation, and his reputation was one for partying and for selling the drugs and, and being well-established in that, that way of things. So said the girls greeted him in their silly, giggly, girly way. Apparently, his name was Izzy. You know, hi, Izzy, are you high? <laughs> Simple fact was they figured he was high, and that's what they wanted for themselves. But his answer back to them really caught them by surprise when he said, no, girls, I actually, I'm not. And then he went on, and he said, I, I need to tell you something that, that God has done in my life. He said, my life has been changed. And he launched into the account of sharing his testimony. This was the guy that, that, you know, that everybody got their drugs from. This was the last thing that they expected 
to be hearing coming from him. But she said that that night, it was there on that boardwalk, that she accepted Christ. Because she said she had known about all this religious stuff. Man, this guy's life had been changed. <laughs> this wasn't the same guy. I mean, they knew him well. They'd been in school with him, and they, they knew what he was. How could this be the same one? You see, he had a different savor to him when they met him on the boardwalk that night. He had that savor of Christ, Brother Steve, rather than of the world. And for her, at least, it was something that she said, wow, you know, I've got to understand this. I've got to know what has taken place here. Duke University is a big university in my home state of North Carolina. They did a report about, of course, there, there was about Americans, but that most Americans had, at some point in their life, had somebody at least to present the gospel to them. And that most of those described it as an unpleasant experience. Comments like, I would gather that the majority of people who met the Apostle Paul in his gospel work would have said the same thing. You know, I don't think he went around making everybody happy. I mean, he wasn't exactly the biggest hit in town when he went to Athens, was he? Uh, they didn't roll out the red carpet for him in Ephesus. Thessalon uh, Th yeah, Thessalonica it got so bad, they, they just flat ran him out of town because of what he was doing. And he wasn't exactly greeted well in Jerusalem when he went there. I mean, you know, he wasn't the guy that when he came into town, everybody was happy to see. Matter of fact, he ended up getting acquainted with more of the jailhouses than anything else a lot of times because that's what they thought of him. But, you know, the simple fact was he was serious. His life had been changed. He was serious. He had a determination. This is the guy that's writing these words to us here. You know, when they threw him in jail, when they ran him out of town, when they did all those things, he just kept on going. He just kept on going. And the simple truth is, is that I believe that he's sharing with us here a little insight into that. You see, you need to keep on going. Keep on keeping on. A faith that will keep going. Why? Success. Victory, it is yours. It's promised here. God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Because that just as we see here also, that there's an undeniable impact. Folks, it's not you that's going to save anybody. The gospel will change people's lives. It's the power of God unto salvation. If we'll let that light shine, if we'll quit worrying about what people think, the victory's ours, and the gospel will change. Yes, a lot will reject it, but it's going to impact people's lives. He says, who is sufficient for these things? Well, 
who's competent, to, who's, who's good enough to be able to do this, who's sufficient. Paul certainly didn't think that he was. And, of course, the answer is nobody, not you, not me, not the smartest, most gifted people in the world. In ourselves, we can't do it. We can't do what God calls us to do, but in Christ, that's the secret. It's all possible. Paul says that the gospel cuts both ways. But notice what he goes on to say here in verse 17. For we are not as many who corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. We're not like a lot of them that corrupt the word of God, <laughs> that make it something that is not. Literally here it carries the idea of a peddler, <laughs> of peddling something. We don't have to do that. He says we can be honest. We can be sincere, but we're sent from God to speak on his behalf. We can be courageous. You see, I think one of the hardest things for us, one of the greatest challenges is just to be who you really are if you're a child of God, if you're in Christ. A lot of us struggle because we don't like who we are very much. You know, it's real easy to get down on yourself. And yes, we all ought to be better people. <laughs> we can all do better. We all have things that we wish weren't there. That's not an excuse to sit back and do what we do. We must do in Christ, not in ourselves. It's that sweet savor of Christ that they need to smell in our lives, not us. It's Christ that needs to be seen through us. Being yourself will never be enough. Faking it, corrupting it, that'll never get you anywhere. There's no point in pretending that you're something that you're not. Most people can spot a phony anyway. Paul's made it very clear that... <laughs> He surely wasn't doing the ministry because of payday. <laughs> he was doing it out of love. He was doing it out of compassion. He was doing it because he cared for Christ and he cared for those around him. He says, you know, we're not going to be hypocrites. <laughs> We've got the truth. We don't have to pretend. The simple truth is, you know, we've just been called to smell like Christ. <laughs> to take the truth that'll do the cutting, to be bold in the midst of it all. You see, we will face challenges, but let's take some things to heart. It is pretty hopeless as we look around. You know, if we're looking for the secular leadership, I mean, all the different parties in this country just got through, coming through their, their, uh, their, their conferences with one more to go, and you know, if we're looking, I don't care if you're looking to labor or the conservatives or the liberal Democrats or somebody else to save this country, it's not going to happen 
Things are really heating up on the American front. You know, the election is less than a month away. The debates are taking place. And yes, it is important. But the truth is, neither one of those men that are running for office there are going to save the United States of America either. I believe that Christians should pray and Christians should be active. But that's not where our salvation lies. That's not what is going to turn our countries around. If our countries are going to be changed, if there's going to be more of the God that has been there in the past, of the Christ that was seen in the past, it's going to be through the Christians. It's going to be through those that are willing to stand and let their light shine rather than to allow the darkness to have control. Over 2,000 years, since Jesus walked this earth, and even today, he is still, he split all of history 2,000 years ago. He's still the great divider today too. We find that there's nobody like him. There's nobody that can be compared to him. Yes, he came to bring a sword and he's left that sword in our hands as well. Not to use as a weapon for conflict. <laughs> That's not what that sword's for. But it's a testimony of the divine power that it holds. You see, we today, we're going to be that saver. We need to be a saver of Christ and to God. We find that I give you this in closing. Some of you may have heard of the organization called Word of Life. Its founder was a man by the name of Jack Wrightson. He went to be with the Lord in 1996. He started out as a youth evangelist. He founded the Word of Life Fellowship back in the 1940s, first of all in New York City, now it's all around the world in something more than 60 countries that, that they work. But he used to always sign all of his correspondence with these words. You know, it's like some people kind of, they always sign their name the same way with that, that same salutation. And, and uh, <coughs> he always signed on the victory side, Jack Wrightson, on the victory side. I kind of like that. Matter of fact, they say if you go to Shroon Lake, New York, and I've drove by, I've never stopped the place, I've drawn, driven by it, I know where it's at, but his grave is out there. And uh, on his grave, it says Jack Wrights in 1913 to 1996 on the victory side. On the victory side. You know, that's what we need to be this evening. We need to live like we're on the victory side because we are on the victory side. We've got much to be encouraged for. We've got every reason to be faithful and to be bold because we're on the victory side. That's guaranteed. There's no choice about it. And I'm just absolutely convinced that we live in a day when, folks, it's not going to get easier it's going to get harder. 
it's going to get harder. You know, it's, it's a tough thing when you live in a world and when you live in a society that has changed so much so quick. But the simple truth is, Jesus Christ is not in nowadays to society, to the world. Uh, you know, they think of that as some kind of an old-fashioned thing, that's a thing of the past. They think of it as for those that are unlearned, uneducated, that don't know any better. And that's just the way most of society thinks. Folks, it's dark out there, and it stinks out there. We need some light. We need the sweet, sweet fragrance of Jesus. When you walk in a room, people can say, boy, he or she, they, they smell like Jesus. Can our lives present that? Can we be as bold? Can we stand up like David did? Instead of fearing and seeing the giant, the responses out there, can we see our great God? How dare they talk against him? How dare they treat him that way? I mean, fact is, it got him riled up more because of the way that they were talking about his God. How dare they do that? Who do they think that they are? Maybe we need a little righteous indignation. We just stand up for our God. How dare they treat him in such a way? We need that boldness. We need that boldness. God needs some people that are willing to be bold. We don't have to fear man. We don't have to fear. Yes, <laughs> I can't change the fact that some of them might think you're a little weird and a little wacky and a little strange. But let me tell you something. If all the world thinks that of you, but if that sweet smell of Christ in your life, if one person, if one person, if that, just like the lady on the boardwalk that night, if that's what will change one life, if that's what will save one soul, man, your life will have been worth more than everything you could have ever done for this world. Don't worry about them. Let God be the one in your life that, you, that you're concerned about. Be in Christ in such a way that you even smell like him to the world around you. Father, we thank you this evening. We know that these have just been simple thoughts from Lord One that certainly was not a popular man when he went into towns. And Lord, we're, we're not out to make people dislike us. Lord, we have a real problem in most of our lives in the fact that we worry too much about what the world is going to think of us. We worry too much about how they're going to reject us. And Lord, we don't face anything like many of these that have gone before us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us ought to be that sweet savor, that sweet fragrance of Christ. Help others to be able to recognize and know because we're in him to that degree. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be encouraged, to realize, to understand, well, the victory is ours. Success is promised. There's no question about that. And Lord, the gospel will impact lives. There may be many that will just shun it and reject it, but it will impact somebody's life in a positive way as well. Some will believe it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us 
Help us. Help us to stand up bold. Help us to be what we need to be in this dark, dark society that we live in, and we'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Amen.